Hey, come on in. Welcome. This is the Hole in My Heart podcast. It's episode 32, Guiding Families. Yes, welcome. My name is Lori Krieg, and I usually say I'm here with my husband, Matt, but he is not here. He is with clients. We're recording this at a different time of day, and so he's he's working a different way. But I am here with producer Steve. Yep. Welcome, Steve. Hey. You're going to have to be our resident therapist today. Oh, so good <laughs> luck. need it. Oh, man. You're here. And I'm also, we are here with our good friend. Friend, uh, Bill Henson. He is the executive director of Lead Them Home. He's also a fellow board member at the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And he's also an author of Why We Called This Podcast Guiding Families This Week. And we're going to be talking about that. So welcome, Bill. Thank you, Lori and Steve. It's an honor to be with you today. We're so glad. And yeah, we're going to talk about this newly updated resource. I had the honor of um, helping. I don't can't even say I helped edit. I'm I'm a honorary editor. I looked through some things and I there's a piece that I wrote for it. But while I was reading this piece called Guiding Families, um, I was so struck by what a rich resource it is. So I'm already going to just thank you for that, Bill. Thank you. It was a joy to put together and Particularly, it was a joy to have contributions from many other authors and writers like yourself. Ah, well, thank you. Um, so, Bill, something I so love about your work at Lead Them Home and with this piece is your um, missional focus. And I know that that was like a big piece as you engage families of LGBT loved ones. And um, when you talk about things related to how the church can posture itself in a way to be more welcoming while still holding to a historically Christian view, Um I love how you approach it with missional language. So our question of the week from last week was around this idea of being a missionary and how we as believers are all missionaries. But I'm just curious, when did that first hit you guys? Like, when did you be like, I don't know, you pray the prayer, et cetera, but you're like, oh, wow, I don't have to go to Africa to be a missionary. Like, I'm a missionary here. When did that hit you? It hit me when I hit a brick wall. Um, in trying to like cast a vision for better inclusion and care of LGBT people in the church. Yeah. It struck me that from all my actual short-term mission work, that missionaries are in hard to reach places with hard to reach people, with people that don't trust them, with Mm. people who might feel ostracized by them all the time. And missionaries are not shocked by people. They're not shocked by sin. They're not shocked by unbiblical beliefs and life practices. They lay down their life for people. And um, in 2006, I feel like God really set a vision in my heart that this wasn't just going to be a pastoral care ministry, that this was going to be a missionary organization aiming uh, to stop blaming gay people for being gay and really hold us accountable as missionaries and ask the question, are we actually being effective missionaries? And uh, so that's when it uh, struck me very deeply. Love that. One thing I love about Bill is every time you like ask him like any question, you you say it in such an articulate way and in such a simultaneously convicting and yet hopeful. So every time you speak, Bill, I just learn (laughs) from you. So just thanks again for that. And now going to the opposite end of the spectrum with regard to that. uh, Yeah, I went to a Christian school, a Christian college and was involved in different, you know, traveling teams. And so you kind of have that like, hey, it's ministry time. Put on the ministry hat and be on your best behavior, you know. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, I kind of had this sense of 
sort of dichotomy, I guess, or yeah. duality. Yeah, uh, and church life, right. secular life with air quotes. Yeah, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, a little bit. Or just kind of just like, you know, when you're when it's just us and we can kind of let oh. our hair down. And but then when we're with people that we have to kind of, you know, show what it, a Christian looks like, it's different, you know. Wow. And I think um, about I guess it was 16 years ago when we moved into our house, mm-hmm. um, we're very, very close neighbors. And I realized wow, we kind of like see each other's life a little bit. These people Mm -hmm. kind of see how I interact with my kids, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, just kind of how we live and we're out there doing work in the yard that I don't want to be doing and that kind of thing. And we had at the time a single mom who lived next door. And that's where I really kind of began to get a sense that I am a missionary kind of all the time. And my wife and I really felt a call to love her and her kids. Mm -hmm. And anyway, she eventually came to Christ and, um, She's moved away since then, but it was a a cool journey to kind of like really be Jesus just even in my own domestic setting. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, When did I first realize I was a missionary? Um, You know, I did the same sort of like short term mission trip thing that we're kind of we're talking about here. And that that was still like putting my like good extra good Christian hat on. Um, and I think for a long time, I just tried to like squeeze the bad out of my insides and like, just make myself look like a missionary, even here in the U S when I wasn't doing, um, short-term mission trips. So it was more like I wasn't being authentic and I was trying to be like a good Christian person all the time. But I, I feel like that blurring of like the real Lori gritty insides and then like really loving people like, here's me, I'm going to fail you. Here's me. I'm also going to look like Christ and how I can love you. That didn't come until I feel like in the last few years, <laughs> like I've done a lot. I've just done a lot of my own work to like figure out what's it mean to be authentic in general. So once I learned to be authentic with myself and with God, um, I feel like it's really more and more bleeding into what does it mean, not even to just be a missionary, but to be the church. And so it's, I don't, it's really, and we've talked about this on the podcast a lot, but just like how that missional life is very, it's affecting every single part of our mm-hmm. life right now. Mm-hmm. So I think instead of just look good and like try and get all the bad out, um, I did this authentic journey. And now it's, I don't know, I'm like seeing the fruit of it in our lives. So recent, um, as far as really living it out everywhere. Yeah. One thing that short-term mission trips teach us is that we can go and be a foreign missionary sometimes at great personal sacrifice for a very short period of time. And then you get to return to our regular life. And one of the breakthroughs for me was realizing compared to the kingdom of God, America is not a Christian nation. It's a foreign land. And therefore I am a foreign missionary in my everyday life. That changes everything. It requires that I live it out as a lifestyle. Not that I always achieve that, but the goal is to live it out long-term, not short-term. Absolutely. Which to live it long-term means you've got to actually be living it like authentically (laughs) inside of you. So Mm. that's why it takes a gutting of us. Yes, Uh, I love it. 
Okay, well, uh, we explained to Bill before we started recording what this next section was. Uh, so for those of you who may be our first-time listeners, uh, welcome. And uh, this is called Goofball Island, which is from the movie Inside Out. And it's we also take a line from the movie What About Bob? But this is the time where we intentionally take a vacation from our problems. And we take a different vehicle every week to get there. It's Steve. I thought of. I mean, it's a musical theme, so sure. why are we not taking a yellow submarine? Duh. Have we taken the yellow submarine before? I don't think so. Okay. Even if we have. We need to ride that one again. Pull that back out (laughs) of dry dock and put it in the water. Okay, so we are talking, we, we rode that yellow submarine because we're asking the question, what kind of music listener are you, both in, well, in the car, <laughs> at home, and then at church, which, you know, hopefully you're not just listening, but you're also singing. Um, who wants to start, hit up the home, car, and church? I am a singer. Nice. Oh, excuse me. That doesn't mean I have a talented voice. It simply <laughs> means I don't stop singing anywhere in my life. So if I'm in the shower, if I'm, uh, I have to watch myself working out at the gym to make sure I'm listening to the music rather than singing it. So you get the it. idea. I love to sing and I'm always singing in the car. In the car, at home. And then I'm guessing just at church, you're like, finally, I'm free. Yeah. Yeah, finally I'm free, and hopefully the other voices blend in and cover mine up a bit. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I also am a sing-alonger. Yeah. Um, in the car. Yeah. Although I'm not super demonstrative about it, but I will, yeah, sing along. Demonstrative? You do you mean like doing the drums and all the right. like oh, that you would I associate used to be, with? I used to be such a kicking air guitarist. Oh, I see it. But then my son became a, an actual literal guitarist, oh, and then too many the shame, eye rolls. That's exactly <laughs> the shaming. It. I, I just had to retire from that. So now I just kind of sing along, and uh, so that would be uh, in the car at home again. Just depending on my kids' proximity, because yeah. I'll get all kinds of dad, you know. Um, and then at church, I am an eye closer. Okay. Then hands I, up once your eyes are closed. <laughs> pretty much. Okay. So you have to be like detached from your body. Maybe so. <laughs> you know what? Hard. If I can't see you, you can't see me. I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Is it, wait, yep. wait, is it the one arm or the two? Do you ever do two arms? Oh, I, I've the done two. Touchdown? I do the touchdown. Okay. That's been a more recent advent. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Since reading Francis Chan. Yeah, I think so. Oh my word. This is so great. Okay. <laughs> if you guys haven't followed our journey, just go back just and listen. Go back. Start about episode 20. Okay. I, in the car, I'm actually the most chill. I'll sing, but like, I just recognize that there's windows surrounding me yeah. and people probably have cameras on their phone slash really do have cameras. Although I did, I was in my car the other day and I saw a guy walking down the sidewalk like really six lanes of traffic well no four it was the belt line and he was just going to town drums and guitar and singing loud all by himself and i was like good on you bro yeah just get it <laughs> i was so happy for him <laughs> at home uh especially with my daughters it's uh, dancing singing greatest showman we're very into oh, that musical yeah. right now and so it's all the things and we like choreograph dances um church you can imagine with 
that at home. Like I do the eyes closed too sometimes. And then like, I really like the one arm. That's my mm-hmm. usual go to if I'm really <laughs> feeling this is so terrible and sacrilegious, <laughs> whatever. And then, but like, if especially if like people around you are all into it and yeah. we have a very like gregarious church. And so it, I'm, I don't know. I, I like to get into it. Thank you, guys. Mm -hmm. I love Goofball Island. It always puts a (laughs) smile on my face. So uh, thank you. We are now going to move to the section called The Heart of the Matter. And again, the reason we're doing this podcast is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everybody every day. And we do that usually in the context of the gospel and sexuality. And so I love bringing my friends on here and we like to interview just talking about, hey, how does how is the gospel good news for you? And um, how is that impacting, uh, I guess, really like your life and those around you? So, Bill, how did the gospel first become good news for you and, and how is it still today? It became good news through the love of my family. Uh, well before I was willing to even consider like giving my whole heart to Jesus, I don't think many of us really give our whole lives to Jesus. I think the Holy Spirit comes to us and causes us to be born again and discover Him at a deeper level. Yeah. And then He calls us into that. And at that point, being born again, it's very natural. It could still be painful, but it's very natural to want to give God everything when he reveals himself in that way. Mm -hmm. But when I look back at the roots, I look back at a grandmother who always prayed for her grandchildren and always loved us Mm -hmm. no matter what. And my mom and dad that modeled that my entire life. Mm -hmm. I just see the seeds of the gospel in my, the way my grandmother loved and prayed for all of us and in the way that my parents uh, loved uh, me and my brothers. Wow. I love that. Um, and you you alluded to this, but like, how, how do you see it play out? Because, um, and I think a big reason I always ask this is sometimes we can hear the past tense testimonies and then we're like, okay, but come on, you're still a real person, right? Like, how, is the gospel yes. still good or was it just a one and done thing? So how, how are you still dependent on the good news of the gospel? Yeah, well, part of the joy of the gospel is if we are a partaker, a recipient of something from God's work in our lives that we know we did not earn or deserve or achieve, then every opportunity we have to share with other people his love, whether that's to defend and protect someone that's vulnerable or to lift someone up who's hopeless every single time, that's not just me operating in my humanity. That is literally the presence of Christ working in me. Mm-hmm. And so every day that I get to care for a, a gay teenager that's been bullied or a transgender young adult that's been disowned by their family, mm-hmm. every day that I get to work with a young person like that is an opportunity to share the love of Christ. And so I get joy from that every single day. Wow. Mm. Wow. Wow. And thank you. So we've alluded to this, um, but what what is your job and um, and how does the gospel play into that, which you really just articulated? But what's your job and, and how does the gospel like motivate you to do it? Sure. Um, Lead Them Home was founded as a missionary organization to equip the church to learn how to better love and care for LGBT people in the church. Mm. And um, while that might seem a little bit concerning or threatening to some, one, we're operating within a historic biblical framework of understanding marriage and sexuality, but I'm more or I'm equally convicted by this thought. 
why is it a threat to the church for us to include people who have a different experience in life than we are when we know that without them being included and encountering God's word and being able to praise God, they might not actually have the experience of becoming born again the way we have. Right. Uh, I, inclusion doesn't mean anything goes. It doesn't mean anyone can serve in any position that they want. It simply means in, a, in as much as it has to do with me, how can I cultivate as much inclusion, a sense of belonging, a sense of acceptance as possible, mm-hmm. where someone can have enough of a journey to fall in love with Jesus and discover that he already loves them and he's wanting them to come to him, all who are weary and burdened, and he will give all of us rest in our soul. I want people to experience that. So that motivates me and and that's highly connected to the gospel working uh, through the vision that God gave me. Absolutely. I love that. We always talk about how experience it usually just trumps uh, truth. So you can try and duct tape truth to your brain all day long. But if you aren't experiencing that love in what you said, Bill, with your family, like our family of church, then how are we ever going to, um, how are we ever going to know this truth? It's often an experience, which is why Jesus came as a person and walked it out and told stories so that we would experience it and not just try and duct tape a verse to our brains and go ahead, go live. Yes. (laughs) Yep. And you know, when Jesus was here, there were people that he had ongoing encounters with and then there were people that he had kind of one and done encounters with. Yeah, uh, he he didn't go chase people down. He let people be where they are in their journey or their readiness. He focused on doing his part, which was lay his life down and communicate God's love for people. So I I feel a lot of empowerment, a lot of joy out of the idea that. You know, there will be people that we have one and done. They come one time, we're able to care for them in a meaningful way. But for whatever reason in their life, they don't return. They Mm -hmm. don't return to our church or Mm -hmm. they don't return to our our invitations to come to dinner, what have you. The question is, um, did we live it out well when we had that one opportunity to be with someone who needs Christ? And that's the goal. So Hmm. good. So good. Okay. So Bill, I I saw that you all um, at Lead Them Home, you have trained now 50,000 leaders, which awesome. Good job. Great job. Um, When you are meeting with leaders, uh, what would you say is the number one need that they have in order to step into this place of really incarnational ministry, this whole missionary perspective and this making our place welcoming for the ongoing journey? What's the number one thing that they need to know or do? Or I don't know, like, what do they need? Well, first, let me brag about pastors all around the country. There you go. Uh, Because in this area, there's a lot of a signing of blame Hmm. uh, toward evangelicals as being hateful toward LGBT people. And unfortunately, because of it only takes a few voices to say some really, really ugly things yeah. uh, to send that message on behalf of the entire community. So I yeah. don't want to alleviate our responsibility for mistakes that have been made in the past. But what I want to say is this. It is good news that all across the country, and I know you experience this too, Lori, mm. I don't meet a single pastor that isn't ready and hungry to learn 
how can I better care for LGBT people? How can we better include them? Mm -hmm. How can we make a church home that will be safe for them? How Mm -hmm. can we uh, alleviate some of the victimization that occurs around bullying, around family rejection, and then the resulting suicidality and homelessness Mm -hmm. that can uh, come from family rejection and other victimization? Pastors all around the country are very, very passionate about getting the gospel right for LGBT people today. And I'm so overjoyed by that. Uh, One of the the biggest things that they need is a biblical framework from which to operate that will allow them to be in messy places where we're not sure uh, when someone's coming to Christ or if they came to Christ but haven't given their sexuality to Christ. How do you live in all those spots that create messiness. And first of all, we should note that all of us were messy when we came to Christ, yes, right? Yes. And and oh, some of us have been following a Christ for a long time and we're still messy. Mm. In other words, we're saved only by the blood of Christ, not yes. by what we've done or not done. Mm. So I think pastors are often are looking for, you know, a way to dwell in that place with a new people group that they might not have uh, uh, encountered uh, as much as heterosexual people that can that comprise so many people in our world. So mm. that's a challenge. I think the other thing is that the missional framework actually becomes the key that unlocks a lot of those hesitations. Yeah. When we look at LGBT people as an unengaged or a marginalized people group, When we look at what it's like for them to grow up and we look at the reality of how much victimization they encounter growing up, when we look at the result of that, high rates of uh, suicidality and depression uh, leading to lower academic performance, a lower sense of of, uh, confidence in one's own identity and strengths and gifts and talents, when they experience that teaching through a missiological framework, it literally uh, allows what is already in them to come out more freely, hmm. uh, to understand people, to make a commitment to walk with people over the long term, no matter what. Mm. So good. So using that same sort of context, um, there, there's also families who are trying to do this journey well. They're trying to lean into um, the relationship with their kids, their LGBT kids, and some of them are really thrown and derailed when their child comes out, and some of them are just, they don't know what to do. Uh, so I know you work a lot and talk with families. Um, what What's something that they need to hear? Uh, same sort of question as the pastoral one. Sure. Um, <clears throat> it shouldn't have to be said, but I will say it. No one has to give you permission to love your child. Right. God gave you your child, and that's your son or your daughter, uh, nothing is more special than the gift of being able to be a parent. And, and all parents are going to be at certain times frustrated by the journey that our children are on. Uh, eventually, if you're not there yet, you'll get there. Um, <laughs> uh, there will be something in the lives of our children that doesn't look like what we expected. Right. And, you know, the parents of LGBT kids, it's just the same thing, just a different topic. And so the one thing I'd like to say is that parents love your children really well uh, because they need it, especially if there is a history of 
social isolation or exclusion, bullying, teasing, right. name calling, possible judgment at church. Uh, number two, um, unfortunately, there can be Christian families that don't respond well to you as a parent when your child comes out, and that becomes public knowledge. Uh, just in the past few weeks, I cared for uh, five mothers, uh, actually four mothers and one father from around the country who were calling from a point of exhaustion in how uh, Christians in their church had responded to them. Mm. All of them had been blamed for their child being gay or transgender. One mother was so desperate that she actually called as her last hope. She had written out her notes goodbye to family members and was planning to take her life because of of people in the church blaming her for having an LGBT child. Mm. And um, this grieves me very deeply. Um, The last thing I'd say is understand that in the early days of you finding out about your child, oftentimes you're being asked to step at the starting gate Mm -hmm. of a race that your child has already worked through and is at the finish line of. Mm -hmm. So your child oftentimes has gone through a coming out process internally over a long period of time, and then they come out to their mom and dad. They're coming out excited or relieved that they've finally worked things out for themselves, not realizing that their parents are about to enter a place of shock or grief or all stages of grief all at once. Right. So this is a recipe for mistakes to be made, uh, relational mistakes. And so the thing that we make so clear in guiding families is that even loving parents make mistakes Mm. at the early stage of their child coming out. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Mistakes need to be corrected, but it's okay that you made mistakes. Many parents do, and those mistakes can be corrected uh, with a confession and an apology to your child. That's so right. That's so good. It is so interesting how Christian circles, how, you know, whenever you can like, you switch it and you're like, well, what if your kid came to you and they're like, oh, I slept with someone of the opposite gender. And it's, it's like a no, like, how would you respond in church when, when we go and speak places, they're like, oh, well, duh, we know we'd love them. We'd embrace them. We'd be like, whatever. But when it comes to LGBT, it's like the whole Bible gets thrown out. And it's like, I think there might be a whole new Bible written. Where is that one? <laughs> <laughs> like, They're lo- seriously scrambling for it. And, and just to keep doing that juxtaposition of like, okay, guys, let's talk about this. And what is sin? And like, it, it's so, it's so tragic. And what you said about those parents, that one mom who's at the end of her rope, like that makes sense to me. And it's, Oh, anyway, it makes sense in a, in a horrible way because I know this conversation and I know how it, it really just reveals, like, are we as a capital C church okay with working with people who are broken, period? And do we have to have the origin story or can we just pick up where people are and walk with them and love them where they are and God help us to do that well? In, in the case of that mother, the sad thing is there was an origin story that was very beautiful, mm. uh, meaning the origin of the church loving her well. Mm. When her daughter was very young, her husband died. So mm. she lost her husband and her daughter lost her father oh. at a very young age and hopeless. They turned to the church and the church was their refuge for all these years. Yeah. So to have the church... Ugh. That was such a refuge, then suddenly yeah. turn on them. It, it just took away all the hope because that was where they had turned for years 
as their only hope, the Church of Jesus Christ. Oh, God help us to realize that there's one gospel in one Bible, and it is good news for everybody every day. Yes. Okay, so... We've pro- we've alluded to these, but what obstacles do you face? You know, I'm I'm sure there are many, but what's what's one that you're like, oh, this is a boulder I keep n- nailing my shin on. I think that uh, first of all, we have to work that out in our own lives as a missionary. So hmm. for years, you know, I kept thinking, okay, now I've heard every story. There's nothing that will trigger me to feel uncomfortable or, uh, or to potentially judge someone. Mm. And I, I finally had to come to a deeper place where I said, wait, no, it's not that there's going to be a next story that's different than I've ever heard. It's that there's still judgment in my heart Mm. and I've got to do business with that. The question is, am I really going to follow Jesus and lay down my life for anyone who walks through those doors or not? And so that's one thing is just realizing how prevalent it could be to find my own discomfort getting in the way, if you will, yeah. and um, and wishing that I didn't have to be present uh, to care for a certain person or something like that. Right. You know, if someone's uh, if someone's fourteen and being bullied, it's easy to be like a father figure. Right. But what if the person showing up is seventy years old? and is just not as, you know, cute and fuzzy and someone that you can look to, like you're the father figure, you know, Mm. it's like all of a sudden you can be thinking you should be the more mature one. And so judgment can leak out of us very easily to do business with that. The second uh, challenge is really navigating uh, with parents that have primarily gotten their language from more political Christian organizations that fight for family values. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of those ministries, they're not intending to do this, but some of the language that they use is actually very mocking toward LGBT people and Christians. Where do you go to learn how to respond to a gay kid? Well, you, you might listen to, you might read the newsletter of an organization like that. So Mm. I routinely encounter Christian families that have, adopted very mocking language toward their own child mm-hmm. when their child has come out. So uh, a child that has gender dysphoria has been referred to as, you know, well, why are you transgendering? You know, mm-hmm. wh- why are you becoming a transgendered person? Mm-hmm. And, you know, for people that have a deep, deep internal anguish over discomfort with their gender, to have their own mom or dad refer to them in that way is really hurtful. It can mean the difference between life and death. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I always say, you know, even loving parents make mistakes. If even a loving Bill Henson could sometimes feel judgmental attitudes, okay, well, then we have to recognize that all of us could either feel judgmental or we could make mistakes even when we're intending to love. Now, the joy is being able to walk with those parents and introduce them to a more gospel-centered approach, something that most parents are naturally inclined to do anyway, to watch them come alive to that and see the fruit of it come alive in their relationship with their child, that brings me so much hope and so much joy. That's great. And such a great transition to this next question, which is, how is this new resource, this Guiding Families resource, going to step in to help remove some of these boulders, these obstacles? 
Sure. Um, Guiding Families, the second edition was written with an advanced initiative, and that is to eliminate family rejection in this generation. Uh, there's at the secular realm, there's a pilot program by our federal government to eliminate LGBT youth homelessness by 2020. Right. I thought if a secular government can aim to eliminate youth homelessness by 2020, well, then surely in the church, with all the love of God, we can eliminate family rejection in this generation. Yes. And and by this generation, I mean the kids that are currently uh, 9 to 15 years old who are coming out or about to come out to their families or about to discover that they have same-sex attraction. Let's spend the next two to four years really, really being committed to ensuring that we can eliminate family rejection. And so this, we have a very, very aggressive goal. But to get there, what we did is we conducted a survey last summer uh, to find out all the ways that parents have responded to their kids when they came out, to document the impact that that response had on their relationship. Often it's negative to document how long of a duration that impacted the relationship and then how they ultimately repaired the relationship. And we've got all kinds of survey data directly from parents. This is not us shaming and blaming moms and dads for mistakes they've made. These are parents that voluntarily shared anonymously their mistakes with the hopes that they could help prevent other parents from making the same mistakes that they made. Hmm. So, there is the insertion in the second edition of Guiding Families, a lot of data from this survey that will literally meet parents where they are and will capture a vision for helping them to respond uh, in a more accepting and a more loving way. That's so great. So I'm guessing that that piece, because um, I remember you mentioning that to me when you were talking about doing this second edition, I was like, awesome, that's going to be great. So I'm guessing that's a favorite piece. What else are going to be, if people have the first edition or have heard about this, like what else is going to be really helpful um, in this edition? Or if it's still like, that's a carryover from the first one. What sure. are some of the highlights for you? Yeah, just an example. Uh, I wrote a new piece uh, for the second edition called when a child has an LGBT parent, we mm. just assume in the evangelical world that if there's anyone gay, it's someone's kid. Right. And we're often just totally leaving in the dark the idea that there are evangelical kids that have an LGBT mother or father. Yeah. And so I wrote a piece uh, called Eight OKs for Kids with LGBT Parents. Right. And uh, it gives them it addresses them as a real person <laughs> hmm. and and as a child and as a child with inclinations to love my mom and dad and maybe be embarrassed by my mom and dad hmm. and to make all of those feelings okay. Hmm. And so I'm very excited that we're kind of capturing that. Uh, we also are recognizing that there are many pastors and full-time ministry workers that also have LGBT kids and sometimes their jobs are at risk. In fact, um, one father in a specific survey we did for pastors who are also parents, he reported, I lost my position as senior pastor because my child was LGBT. Mm. So we include some data that responds directly to 
parents uh, who are also pastors. Mm-hmm. And then we also, this is, this is very exciting. My new friend, his name is Lewis, and he was raised in a very strict Christian home and was very uh, relationally rejected when he came out. Uh, and he was away from God for many years, and he was in the Pulse nightclub on June 11th, 2016 Hmm. and late into the night as it turned into June 12th and there was a last call for drinks that's when the first shots were heard Hmm. and Lewis came face to face with the man that ended up killing 49 people and injuring 53 others Hmm. he barely escaped that night and it was the church wrapping their lives around him and his family flying all the way to Orlando to apologize for rejecting him Mm. and to just say how much they love him, that he had a radical born-again coming to Christ experience. And Lewis's story closes guiding families. And uh, let's just say there will be many people that come to Christ because of the telling of Lewis's story. Praise God. I got chills. I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this does. And again, when I read it and had the honor of you know, serving as just eyes on it as well and offering little bits. I just was like, this is a spirit-filled, necessary piece of work that the church needs yesterday, but today and over these next years. So, yes, great job. There's there's also a great contributing author. (laughs) Eight things I wish every Christian leader knew about gay teens in their church. And I'm telling you, that article will will dramatically change the posture of the church. And so, Lori, thank you for your contribution to Guiding Families. Oh, you're welcome, Bill. It was an honor. The last thing I'd like to say is that we we wrote an article for All Who Care, uh, welcoming your child's LGBT friends to cast a vision that it's not just up to churches and it's not just up to families that are having to live this out. It's up to all of us wrapping our lives around uh, families that are living this out. And yeah. so we've got to do a better job of teaching our kids to be very generous in loving and caring for uh, LGBT peers in their school, in the, their youth groups, mm. and to make sure that any bullying is being reported. So we also have a very special article there to make sure we're reducing the harm that can occur for LGBT young people. That's so great. And I love that phrase, wrapping our lives around, and that it's everyone's responsibility. It's not just the parents. It's not just the kids. It's the churches, the capital C. And again, Lord, help us live the gospel out everywhere. So love it. Um, I will just call out one of those pieces that you just said, as far as um, the piece for pastors who have LGBT kids and full-time ministry leaders. So Bill and I have the honor to partner together to put on a retreat for pastors or full-time ministry leaders who have LGBT kids. And we just want to give you a retreat away with like-minded and like-hearted people. Um, And so we're working together as well as LGBT people themselves who hold to this historically Christian view. And you yourself are in full-time ministry. We're giving you 24 hours away uh, uh, with us in California. So Bill, I'd love for you to just kind of jump in on that and like, why did we decide to do that? Or what's what's the need? Sure. We we titled this retreat Refresh. Yep. And it's going to be at a beautiful, beautiful setting in California. It's not going to take up a lot of your time, but there are a lot of pastors or full-time ministry workers 
who either struggle with same-sex attraction themselves or gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. uh, or they have a child. And yeah. they are extremely isolated because they're not allowed to talk about this or yeah. to disclose it. Um, I'd like to say that in 2018, it wouldn't impact your job. And I think there are so many church settings where it would not impact your job. Mm. But in 2018, I know too many people like Seth, who is a 19-year-old kid who wrote a treatise of lifelong celibacy between him and Jesus. Mm. He made that decision based upon his biblical convictions, and he is following God in a radical way, yet an internship was stripped from him because someone merely found out that he experiences same-sex attraction. Mm. Um, if that will happen in 2018 to a 19-year-old kid, then there are risks, uh, and there is isolation as a result of the risk for parents of LGBT kids that are full-time ministry workers and ministry workers that they themselves struggle. Yep. So we wanted to, Lori and I just wanted to really create a 24-hour experience where you could be with like-minded people that are living out similar risk, but that there would be a place for your voice, for your story to be heard. Um, this is not going to be a huge curriculum content type no. uh, 24 hours. It's really going to be gathering a bunch of isolated people together whose voice has not been heard and allow you all to experience the camaraderie, the community, the fellowship of the Church of Jesus Christ wrapping our lives around you and saying, uh, we're with you no matter what. That's it. And you are not alone. So come to Refresh, and we'd love to uh, see you in California. Yep, and that's it, June 1 and 2, and we'll have yes. registration. You'll have that rocking and rolling, uh, hopefully by the time this podcast launches. And so I'll have it directly linked for you all if you're interested in that. We'd love to meet you and see you. And some of you, perhaps we've emailed some in this isolated state, and so it'd be fun to have... It'd be just precious and holy and really uh, profound for Bill and I to just come face to face and eye to eye and just look toward Jesus together. Amen. Um, so, Bill, thank you, man. Just what, what I said in the beginning of your gifting and ability to be able to just take these profound, deep uh, this this place, this sacred space, and to put light on it in such a tender and smart and, and knowledgeable way is just such an incredible gift to the church. So thank you for what you do, and thank you for being on this podcast. Thank you, Lori. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. It's been a joy to be with you today. Mm -hmm. You are welcome. So I keep forgetting, every once in a while, I forget the question of the week. So I'm going to just put this out to you listeners. Our question of the week for next week, we have Dr. Julie Slattery on. Uh, she is a president. She's the founder, a co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. And they talk often just about sexuality and uh, the gospel as well. And so we're going to have her on here. We're going to be talking about sexual discipleship and mentorship. And we are passionate about mentorship at HIMH. And so I just would love to hear your mentorship experiences, good, bad, whatever it was, and do you value it? Um, I'm 
finding a lot of Gen Z and millennials right now are really hungry for the mentorship word uh, and, and for someone just to like not be like, I know all the answers, but to be even a half a step ahead and be like, what up? <laughs> this is hard. <laughs> We're with you. Um, so if that's you, we'd love to hear that. Yes. Or, or just some of your own experiences and maybe even what you're looking for in a mentor. I'd love to hear some of even a list of that. So thank you so much for listening. For all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Uh, we hope it has been another reminder that the gospel really is good news for everybody every day. Hey, would you tell a friend about uh, the Hole in My Heart podcast? Uh, tell them they can find it in Google Play, in the TuneIn app, and of course, Apple Podcasts. If, if you don't want to miss an episode, really uh, suggest that you subscribe in Apple Podcasts. And remember, your positive ratings and reviews will help us reach more listeners. And of course, you can follow Lori at himhministries.com. We'll see you next week.